Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solid board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 143. Rolling, 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 get those dice and roll them, roll on, roll on. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back. Doing quite well, and you? Doing great. My volume is really loud, so I have a feeling my voice is going to be high and pitched and cracky in, in some of the segments. Sorry about that. Um, as you said, welcome back. We have another fun episode here. Uh, we're going to talk about Rory's Story Cubes today, specifically the game called Untold Adventures Await. I hope it'll be a fun episode here. It will be. They all are. They are. Today I went back and listened to one of the old episodes, number 52. Like before you joined. Oh goodness! Because I, I went looking for there's this. I did a segment where I I, I kind of looked back at some of the important solo games and talked about them, but I did it as if I was a professor in a gaming school in the future talking about the gaming in the 21st century. Oh yeah, I actually remember that. <laughs> that was fun. I listened to it. It's it's a little corny and terrible, but I really liked it. <laughs> it, it was corny and terrible. I remember that. Yeah, I had a kick with that. Oh, uh, anyway. Um, so yes, the show's always been fun, even when it hasn't been fun. The... <laughs> it's mostly because we like to do ridiculous things, like start off every segment with our own little mini song. <laughs> I think that's why people still listen to the show. Right. <laughs> it might be. So, so, so should we talk about the news then? Sure. Okay. Lay it on to me. All right, so, so there's a little bit of news and other stuff here. First up... Game Right Games just announced that they're releasing Forbidden Sky sometime in summer of 2018. This is the third game, I guess, in the Forbidden trilogy, if we want to call it that, right? First there was Forbidden Island, then Forbidden Desert, and now Forbidden Sky. Um, they have released a teaser video. There really isn't any information in that other than what I've probably just said. They, they, they drop a couple hints, right? So it sounds like there may be a storm and there may be lightning you got to deal with. Yeah, you have to deal with electricity to do stuff. Yeah? You're certainly having to channel electricity to do things. More clearly than that, I don't have. Okay. Yeah. That should be neat. You know, as a matter of fact, I just gave a, my copy to of Forbidden Island to a co-worker, thinking he might enjoy it, and he played and he had a lot of fun with it, and we're talking about it, and then that very next day, out comes his news. Oh, that's really cool. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Because every all these games just have looked so beautiful, you know. I look forward to seeing what it looks like. They do look really nice when they do these things. Um, of course, it's being done by Matt Laycock, like the other ones. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious if he's going to continue on these these ideas that we've had in some of the new co-op games, which is that you're trying to add in good stuff as opposed to dealing with bad stuff, and that you need the good stuff there before the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is more more of a theme we've seen of some of his later co-ops. Like the new Rising Tide pandemic, like we saw in Legacy Season 2. So these type of things where you have to have enough good stuff already there to block the bad stuff. Okay. And I'm kind of curious if this is going to be that you have to have like channels for the electricity and stuff like that. I don't really know. Yep. Yeah, so I haven't I haven't seen Pandemic Season 2, but in Rising Tide you're you're trying to build a some sort of Pumps or something like that? Dams? Okay. Yeah, dams and pump the water around. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that that'll be very cool. So that's the first item of news. Uh, nothing other than summer. Maybe it'll be like a Gen Con or something, I guess. Origins, who knows. 
the, the next piece of news is actually, I guess, a redaction. Uh, I made a mistake last week, or maybe I just spoke unclearly when I mentioned that Van Ryder Games, the big score is coming in February. What I meant to say was coming to Kickstarter in February. So so don't go look for any retail stores. Go look for it on Kickstarter if you're interested in that one. And I'm sure you'll hear more about it when it comes because they tend to put their stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is good. Yep. Well, you mentioned Kickstarter. There's a Kickstarter that's actually starting right now for Rambo. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. I remember the movie from the 80s. I was going to say, <laughs> you've heard of Rambo. I hope you've heard of Rambo yeah. at least. This, this is probably a IP uh, that most people will have heard of, I'd expect. Um, Rambo, if you're familiar with uh, like V Commandos or something like that, Rambo is going to be a cooperative game, which does play one to four, where you control one of various different characters and your goal is to fulfill your objective. So you're moving around on a board, shoot stuff, use missions, things like that. It feels like your V Commandos, your uh, Zombicide, that sort of thing, that you're moving around and shooting stuff and doing things. There's some interesting mechanics that they've had the opportunity, that they've played around with about you have uh, different choices about which stance you want to take, which determines how risky you're going to be or how many actions you're going to take, or what type of actions, things like that. And so I, I very much like that stance mechanic that they're playing with. Uh, one reason why I specifically want to mention this Rambo game is the designer of it, or one of the people involved in this Kickstarter, is actually located here in Memphis. So I've had the opportunity to mess around a little bit with the components. I haven't personally had the chance to actually play through the full game. I've only had a chance to see it just a little bit. But, I, I, again, and that's why I'm talking about the stance mechanic, is because for my brief demo of it, that stance mechanic was very interesting. Um, it The printed copy looked a little bit washed out i assume that they're going to be doing more more focus actually i know they're doing more focus and refinement on the graphic design from the demo copy i had which was just you know the printed components playtest version of it so anyway if you're interested in rambo if you're interested in some more uh moving around a board shoot stuff as rambo then go ahead and take a look at that over on kickstarter very cool okay and that is out now on kickstarter it is out now, and I don't have. Give me a second. I feel like when we normally we talk about Kickstarter stuff, we have more we say about it. Well, a little month. Let's do Kickstarter. I admit I haven't looked it up because I'm not interested in the Rambo franchise so much. Yeah, I'm not personally interested in the Rambo franchise. That that's an IP that does nothing for me. And although the stance mechanic is interesting, I'm not so enamored with. Um, Another one like this, like V Commandos, to me seemed like a more interesting method of doing it, but I wasn't really so enamored with V Commandos. It may require playing more through with it before I get really interested in it. Definitely want to do a shout out to it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you're interested in it, uh, it's currently on Kickstarter. They've already uh, gotten through their goals. It's going to be ending on February 2nd. Okay, so that's really soon. And if you want a copy of it, it's going to be $60. Okay. And so this episode is probably coming out around the 29th or 28th. So you'll just have a okay. few days, probably. Oh, yeah, well. But it's going to be done February 22nd. Oh, oh, I thought you said February 2nd. Okay, I'm sorry. No, February 22nd. Okay, very different. Yep, never mind. you got plenty of time, guys. Don't worry about it. And have you seen, have you seen the uh, Kickstarter page? I'm just looking at it now for the first time. The top banner, the picture of Rambo on the right side of the banner, yeah, with the frown on his face, yep. 
For some reason, that frown looks so weird. <laughs> Does it? It that, that's a famous scene, uh, picture. I remember that. Is it? Yeah. Okay. But but it, you know, again, the same exact face, a little farther down on the page, just a little bit, and there he is looking in the other direction, that same frown. And I, I agree. In yeah. that picture, it looks something about it looks strange. Yeah, it looks like they sort of like pulled the lips on the left and right like too far down. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like a clay model. It's starting to sort of <laughs> it's a little bit. melting. Whoops. It looks really normal on the box. The box looks, you know, great, but that one picture just looks weird. I don't know. Uh, Rambo, yeah, that was that was a that was a movie. Um. Anyway, uh, what else do we got? Anything? Uh. Oh, I want. I just. Away? I want to mention the giveaway again, right? The Lord of the Rings uh, Fellowship event cards we talked about last time. That is still going on. You have until February 6th, so it's about a week and a half left as of this recording, about a week from when you hear it, this show, I guess, or just slightly over that. Remember, you just got to send a, send an email to myself or Julius mentioning your favorite uh, Lord of the Rings characters to play with, your, your favorite heroes to play with, um, and send it in, and three lucky winners, or two lucky winners, I'm sorry, will win a, a deck each. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also want to mention some other cool things that have been happening over on the guild. If you're not on the guild, you really should be. There's a lot of good oh, yeah. discussions over there. Be on the Discord. That's also a great way to reach out to us and probably a faster way. But over on the guild, there's some really interesting threads going on that I thought were interesting. Um, one about stuffed fables. And somebody was asking if stuffed fables for adults. I've actually pre-ordered a copy of this. It should be in hopefully soon. Uh, I'm intending on doing two playthroughs with it. I'm going to be playing through it once with my wife and once with my kids. If I like it a bunch, I'll probably do another solo playthrough. We'll see. Um, so expect to hear more from me about whether or not I think the stuff fables is going to be interesting for adults also and what my thoughts were on it. So Cool. Okay. I hadn't heard about this game. So stuff fables is an interesting game. It's a game where you play through. If you liked Mice and Mystics, which Blood Feud, Mice and Mystics <laughs> is good. Um, but... If you've heard of Mice and Mystics, it's from the same designer. It's sort of like the next level of Mice and Mystics. The, they've streamlined a bunch more of the rules. There's a little girl who's just transferring to her big girl bed. And she there's these dark, evil, stuffed toys that are coming in to try and give her nightmares. And you are playing the part of stuffed toys, stuffed animals that are coming to defend her. And beat off all the bad guys and go off into stuffed world and things like that. The mechanic of the game is you're going to be pulling out dice from a bag. And the different color of dice is different things. So in Stuffed Fables, the purple dice is going to be a while. But there will be some dice which will be reds that let you attack. Or greens that let you move around. And each one has a different thing that they do. And they can be used interchangeably. So... Very similar to Mystics. Again, it's got very nice minis that you'll put on on the board and a book with a whole pile of scenarios. And you'll actually play in the book. So the book becomes your board game map. So each of the maps can be very different. And it looks really nice components-wise. My only concern is for the depth of gameplay. I've heard some other people who are talking that the depth of gameplay is more for only for families. I don't know about that. And we'll definitely be getting a copy of it and letting people know what my thoughts were on Stuff Fables. Okay, cool. And you said this is the uh, same designer as uh, Mice and Mystics. Mice and Mystics. Is it the yes. Plaid Hat Games also, same publisher? It is also being done by Plaid Hat Games. Okay. Another cool piece on the One Player Guild was the One Player Guild user poll. 
which I thought this is really interesting. I know that BGG does this in general. This is a thread with about demographics. So you can see like the average age and children and marital status and preferred games and a whole bunch of things for all the users come there and post your own ones. I was, you know, very honored to note that the one player podcast uh, is, I think it's the second most listened to podcast on that board. Uh, beaten only by the Dice Tower. <laughs> Our guild shall surpass theirs. That's right. Soon. And we should mention, we, we might be second only because the, the low player count was left out of the survey. I, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I voted for other so because of that. <laughs> well, I mean, we're a little bit over the other. Well, No, no we're not. We're, yeah, we're a little bit over the other side. Oh, are we? Okay. They have they have forty four. We have forty seven. Ah, I take it back then. This. Yeah, no, we're number two. We're number two. <laughs> so I definitely thank all the listeners we have, and thank you everyone for coming on there. And yeah, it it's not even saying anything about us. It's just saying that we have a bunch of listeners, and I see the downloads. I know that, but it's still really nice to see them mm-hmm. out there. So just thank you guys, and go vote on the demographics poll. It's interesting to see about all of their other. Other guildies. Yeah, looking at the the results of the poll so far, seem to be above average. The uh... Albert, this doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, the average gamer is in thirty five to forty five range. Yeah, <laughs> above that. Well, I'm below that, so if that's okay. So you're below average. Oh, poor Julius. <laughs> uh, you're thirty three. Youngin. I know. <laughs> it's always funny. All right. Uh, see what else do we got today? Anything else? Yes, there's more. The the you are going to talk about the hostage negotiator beta test. Oh, I just simply want to mention it out there. Um, if you're if you like hostage negotiator, they're doing a beta test for a digital version of the game, and you can also go see that over in our guild. Mm-hmm. And it looks nice. I saw pictures of screenshots in the guild, and it looks really nice. I'm not a beta tester. No, I'm not either. <laughs> so, but uh, I look forward to when it comes out. I'll definitely yep. play it then. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So I think we've run through all our community stuff, all of our news, all of our Kickstarter things. Let's talk about an actual game. All right. Today, and today we're talking about Untold Adventures Await. Or maybe Untold Adventures Await. As with much of this game, it is entirely open <laughs> it is. to interpretation. It is totally up to you to, to play it the way you want. And that, that's a lot of what this game is about, honestly, actually. So, I mean, there you go. That's the review. Um, and which one do you think it is, out of curiosity? I I think I, I'd say Untold Adventures Await. I think I make it a sentence. Okay. Officially on BGG, there is a colon. Yes. It's Untold Adventures Await. Yes, that's that is correct. But it's up for interpretation. Um, right, so this is a... Basically, it's a role-playing game. I know it comes in a box like a board game, and it's probably marketed as a board game, but really... Is that role R-O-L-E or R-O-L-L? Yes, a little bit of both, isn't it, now? <laughs> it's a it, it's a role-playing game, as in you make a character, and you, you have an adventure, you have a character, like an RPG. Um, I will note that they don't call it a role-playing game. They do call it a storytelling game. That That is correct. Um... But it is mechanically, I think, speaking, or in terms of the type of story you tell, it's really, I think, what it is. Um, and, and I think by the time we're done, you you may or may not agree, but we'll see. It, it does, at least in my mind, it fits very much more as a role-playing game. 
than a board game, and the way I play it is the same way I play RPG solo. Um, <clears throat> the game is very open-ended. It's it's designed so you can play any setting, any theme you want. And as a matter of fact, at the beginning of the game, what you're going to do is set your theme and, and your setting and all that. And all the players, if there's more than one, agree on what it is, and then you have your adventure with that. Um, so, so to that end, the game is... It looks very generic, and there and there's icons that are supposed to be generic and that sort of thing. The uh, that was a summary of the game. The rules. Um, this game is very rules light. It's a very thin rule book. It's probably like the the shortest rule book for an RPG ever. Um, <laughs> it's like eight pages, and you know it it the way the game works. And maybe I'm really talking into the gameplay later. It's you, you're having an adventure using a traditional five-act dramatic structure to guide the story. You know, sort of like where you've got the introduction and then you got the ascending action and the and the climax and then the... I forget what the all terms are, but but that is a very traditional theatric structure for a story. Um, now, as you were going through that, I said, and even if you don't like the game, it helps, gives you a, an education on critical on critical book reading. Because <laughs> you learn about the act structure of a book, but then you weren't able to name all five of them, so I guess it doesn't really give you a very good education. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. And and it, they don't tell you that's what it's doing, honestly. Um, I, I saw it in there, and I could tell that's what's going on, but they don't mention it. So even if you're getting educated, you won't realize it. Um, and then, much like me, you won't know what to call what you just learned. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, so the rules—they're very clearly written. They're easy to follow, and it made the game easy to play. However, I do think that if you're not familiar with the style of play or really having used story cubes before, it might be a little bit... You may not be sure what you're supposed to be doing. And I think this really could have used an example of play to help with that. Um, you know, just saying, How oh... How they have made an example of play? You know, show, saying, oh... Jack rolled the dice and he got these three symbols and since they're playing a cowboy story he decided this die represents this and this and this and the character and the players said well because of that this happened. Um, I mean they do have some of that on the rules. Nah, not really. Nah, not I, I maybe a little bit but not enough. I think and maybe okay. I'm wrong though honestly I, I could be wrong but I do think if you're not like I said if you're not really familiar with it and you're expecting a traditional board game you're going to be confused with this. I think that could yes, be Yes, because it's not a traditional board game. Right. Exactly. Um, and in that sense, it would help. Then again, I kind of think if if they do that, there might be the fear that you're you're guiding the players a little bit too much. And, and I think this is they intend you to have a lot of creative freedom, so they don't want to guide you. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I felt like that could be in there, and that would be helpful. Um, so really, that's it about the rules, the... the like I said, they're they're super simple. You know, if you do know what you're doing, if if you don't need the example play, and playing the first game with the rules is not hard at all. The the theme, the, well, the game is themeless, right? Be, but uh, I think it really does support the idea of theme very well. You know, they have you pick a story setting. You know, the the style of story is it a comic story, is drama, whatever it is. So you pick all that up front, and and the game you're going to play should feel very thematic. And actually, that's partially because of the way the mechanic works with the dice. The um, In that, as you're, I'm saying, as you're rolling, you're locking in some of the dice, 
and that what they represent is now stuck in the story throughout the end. So so it builds upon that theme, and your story keeps building upon the past. And so I think it, the gameplay feels very thematic, even though the the product itself doesn't come with any theme, any specific theme. Um, components. Let's talk about components. I think they're really nice quality. Um, all the stuff published by Creativity Hub always has been, so this is you know up to par. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> looks gorgeous. It it really does. It does. Though I will say I am surprised that the box looks so dark, and the the boards and and the tiles and all that. Um, I'm well, used. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like that actually because then even if you're putting dice on the board for some reason, the dice stand out really clearly yep. against the background of the board because the dice are white and the board and everything else is dark. Yes, and that does make sense. The, the reason it surprises me though is just because all their other stuff is so brightly colored, and and when you compare this to that, the packaging just looks it looks different, which is fine. You know, it's just to me it's just surprising. Um, okay. Yep. So what, it, what the box brings, it brings a set of the Rory Story Cubes, like the set in the orange box, that set, without the box. Your standard ones. Your standard set, yep, the original ones. Um, it brings a bunch of tiles that you're going to use, which actually you put the dice on the tiles as you play. These dials are basically two uh, cardstock boards, like you'd have in a, a player board in any game glued together one on top of the other one and the upper one had holes cut out so you could place a dice in it so they sort of sit in there and will stay in place um which is pretty neat and then there's a board that's also double thick in which you're going to lay the tiles in the insert in the inset space so you'll have a board with these large tiles sort of tarot card size with dice on top of that the those tiles there's five Per scene or six per scene, and there's I mentioned there's the five scenes, the the five act play. Each of them is named in the game, and I didn't write it down, but I know they are named. Yeah, they're named. They're just named with the with the non high intellectual versions. <laughs> the, the yeah, yeah, it version. basically describes it. Anyway, so besides the the board and the tiles and stuff, there's also two small decks of cards. These are used for the action resolution in the game. Um, you know how you how you figure out if stuff succeeds or fails. These are interesting because the way it works is you flip a card from the first deck and it's either red or green to determine if you failed or succeeded. It's that simple. And then they ha- may have a modifier. They may say and to make it more dramatic or but to tone down the drama on it. And, you know, like a green card that says but, yes, you succeeded, but it wasn't as good as you hoped it'd be. And then the second deck is another car- You flip the card over and it just has a face, sort of a, a, a smiley face. With a different reaction. Emoji. Maybe happy, might be crying. Yeah, an I emoji. I think the millennials are calling um, it emojis. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm no millennial. <laughs> a dramatic face. Um, <laughs> the And and so you, you if you have one of the cards with the and or the but on it, then you use that face to interpret what the and or the but means. He says, you know, I succeeded in what I was trying to do, but not quite as well, and now I'm laughing based on the reaction. Well, why would I be laughing? If things didn't work out the way I hoped. That, that's how you would interpret that. Um, there's a pause card. If you're playing and you're kind of not happy with the way the game's going, you could flip it over and pause it. And that lets everybody know that, you know, hey, let's let's talk about what's going on before we go too far. It doesn't really apply in the solo game. There's a couple player boards. Um, really, these are just reference boards that have a lot of information. And a place to keep a couple counters you're going to have in the game. A couple tokens. And then, like I said, there's tokens. There's some tokens that are used to drive the action. 
that are placed on the main board, um, a couple pads of sheets for your character sheets and for the episode sheets, a dice tray, which is really just a, a cardboard insert that came in the box, <laughs> and and then a very, very compact feeling box. It's not tiny by any stretch. It's, I'd say, 10 by 10 or 11 by 11, something like that, inches. Um, but it feels like everything's in it very, very packed and very tightly. It's very, like, very purposefully designed. For, to fit everything just right. Um, so those are the components. Um, the gameplay, the the gameplay is pretty straightforward. When when you're gonna play the game, if you have multiple people, even if you're playing by yourself, you're gonna figure out the setting first. You just come up with the setting you want to play. You know, if Julius and I are here playing, we might just start to brainstorm. You know, Julius, I kind of want to play a game with cowboys. Uh, you, you want to have a cowboy adventure, and you know you may agree or disagree with me. We may say stuff. You may say, yeah. You may say, yeah. I want cowboys, but I really want there to also be elephants. So I want this to be like cowboys in in the African jungles or something, like that, the savannas. And you know, we'll just go back and forth and pick whatever makes sense to both of us, agree on it, and then write it down in our episode guide. And this is what we're gonna play. Once you've done that, you flip up. You're gonna draw. Get your five tiles ready. You don't look at them yet. For the five acts, you're gonna flip the first one, and it's gonna have that space for I think one or two dice. You're gonna roll all the dice, and pick one of the dice and put it on there. And the tiles that you flip, they each have a symbol that you're gonna on the tile saying, "Oh, the, whatever goes here represents a, a hero, or it might represent the villain, or it might represent a, an obstacle that's going on." It, it depends on the tile. Um, so you're gonna place a die. You now know what it represents. And there's a couple of the symbols telling you what's going on in terms of action in, in this scene. So now you've got your story and you've got the, the initial setup of of why we why we have a story, what's going on that's causing the hero to be in an adventure. Uh, once you've done that, everybody gets to roll up their characters. You use the story cubes that you haven't already locked down, and you use them to help you come up with a character, you know, picking something you think fits. Or really, if you want to, you just make your own character. The way you want to, you don't have to use the dice if you don't want to. Just, you know, get something that fits. So as you can see, the rules here tend to be very loose. Do whatever you want as long as it sort of helps the story go along and it makes sense with the story. Um, and then what happens in each of the acts is two stacks of tiles. One of them are for questions and one's for actions. You could use the question tiles to ask a question about the scene. You know, why is the villain after us? Or who do we think stole the gem or whatever the, the, the question might be that is appropriate for the story. You ask your question, you roll dice, and looking at the dice, you pick a couple out to, to help you tell the story. And you're picking out the dice, and based on the symbols you see, you're saying, I think what these dice are going to represent is that the the villain is, um, I don't know, a, a big game hunter or whatever. Whatever makes sense to you based on your setting and your theme. Yeah, I mean, he really likes that, that Gloomhaven, that... Next versus minions, the really big games. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's a big game. Yeah, so right, so and so the way it's working, if it is multiple players, players take turn asking questions. So if I'm asking the questions, you don't necessarily have a say in what I choose. Uh, you know, you're obviously welcome to give input, and I could take it, but I'm not required to take it. And if it is a multiplayer game, and you have an idea, you say, "Oh, this would be really awesome." And Albert's just not using it. You do have a couple tokens you could use. To throw in some information, you can say I'm using my, you know, I have my two tokens. I'm gonna use one of them, and I'm gonna say that this happened because because it's mechs and minions type monsters that this guy likes hunting. So it allows, you know, allows for a little bit of interaction that way. Um, 
Anyway, so so those were the questions. You can and as long as there's dice available, you could just roll, and the dice don't get locked up when you're doing the questions. You just gonna roll the dice. There's always some dice available except for the very last scene. Um, the other types of tokens, these are action tokens. You use an action to say, I'm gonna try and do something. You know, like if if you're going after the big game hunter, you might say, I we try and trap the game big game hunter in a in a valley or something like that. And does it succeed or not? You flip over your cards to find out what the results are. And based on the cards you get, you know, you either succeeded and tell a little more story about why it worked or why it failed. Um, so really, it's a game about telling a story together. The dice and the board and all this is just there to sort of help guide you along and and give you clues and hints whenever you don't have them. Really, they're just prompts. Um and I think in that sense, it really is way more role-playing game than a board game. Right? It, the, the idea is you're trying to tell a story. The, except there isn't a GM, like in Dungeons & Dragons. This is a different, like a cooperative storytelling, more like fiasco. Just not necessarily as... Well, let me make sure I understand pretty. you correctly. Is it possible <laughs> to lose? Um, I mean, your story... Yeah, so it is kind of gamey in that those... Those yes/no cards to see if you succeeded. There's 15 cards. Seven of them are fail. Those are just random, right? And they're yeah, they're totally random. So like uh, the last adventure I was playing, I said, okay, I try and get the uh, the data that I need to and get out of the the pyramid and you know escape from the penguins. And I flip over the card and it says I failed. Okay, so I just failed at the very last scene at the very last possible thing. That's awkward. <laughs> so your success or failure is entirely yes, random. Yes, absolutely. It's off those cards. But otherwise, you can't really affect the fate or result of the game. It's just yes, but random. then it is up to you to interpret what that failure means. Does that just mean I lost the game, or, or does it mean something else? And the way they've set this up, it's it's episodic. When you play the game, you're, you're as if you're playing one episode in a TV show. Um, your episode might end as a failure. That really is just a cliffhanger for the next episode. It doesn't mean you've failed the game. It just means next game you've got a really exciting start already. And, and that's what I found for me. Um, you know, go, playing the first game, it finished, and I was like, oh, wow, that, that's pretty exciting. I got to go to, you know, I went through this adventure, and I got to go ahead and art the Arctic Circle and find uh, where these people have the data that they stole. And so so the next game was real easy to set up. I already had a setting and a theme and all that, and an adventure hook. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it, it, like I said, it really isn't a game type, a board game type game. It really is more about playing a, playing through a story building a story yourself. I, I argue that it's not really a game. And that's fair. I mean, somebody could say that. I think... Are you from... Not only is somebody saying that, I am saying Yep, that. yep. You, Julius, Besser, yes, I, I understand. And that is reasonable. There are role-playing games, I think, that are very similar, like um, Microscope, in which the point is to cooperatively build a, a, a world together, but you're not winning or losing. It's not a game. It is just the, an act of building a world and there's rules to help you do that in a in a way that everybody gets to give input and give direction to the flow of the story and you know i think that is also not a game the same way this is not maybe i'm not familiar yeah. with either one of those okay I, I you won't get argument from me i it's a way to tell fun stories together it, with a set of rules around it structured rules sure you know, if you interpret that as a game great if you don't <laughs> great so I told you about the gameplay. There's a couple of things I really like. The the way you use the dice and they lock. In the first scene, you roll nine dice and you're going to lock one or two. The second scene, you're going to roll the remaining dice and again lock some. 
In each scene, the, the number of dice you have available gets smaller and smaller. And what, what happens is you lock the dice early on, and these things are, that you've locked in are now part of the story for sure. And the other dice that you aren't locking in, you're using for, for when you're doing questions in the game and doing rolls every time. Because there's fewer dice, you're starting to see the same symbols show up more and more. Um, and so it kind of guides your story in a certain direction ba based on the, those trigger images that you roll. And I think that that is really neat, the way that works. It, it almost seems like it's too neat to be deliberate, but I have a feeling it was. All right, so in terms of solo play, I think it's a lot of fun. I've really had time, fun every time I play it. I find that for me it works best if I'm writing down notes as I play. Um, every time I ask a question, I write down, oh, I asked this, and based on what I wrote, this is the, the, the answer I think I got. You know, I, I don't write full paragraphs, I just write notes. And, you know, sometimes draw a picture that goes with it or whatever. And for me, that works really well. Um, and I have a lot of fun and I get a lot more, I think, depth out of my stories. The Playing that way takes me about 90 minutes per game. The box says it should be a 60-minute game. And yeah, if I didn't write things down, it would definitely be way faster. It would probably be even 45 minutes. Um, I do think it's probably a little more fun as a co-op game than a solo game because... If we're building a story together, you know, there's that, that give and take. We're, we're coming up with the ideas together, and that's always a fun fun activity. You know, like the I came up with a cowboy setting, and, and then we said, oh, let's put it in Africa. And he said, oh, there's Mexican minions in here. And, you know, I would have never thought of that on my own. And and I think that's what's charming in this type of game. The, the final idea is better than the uh, individual parts. Expansions. So, I mean, sure, there's expansions. The expansions actually came out before the game, oddly enough. They're all the different story cubes. Um, you know, there's like four large sets that each have nine dice. The original one and three more have come out since. And there's a bunch of small mix sets. And those are very specifically themed. Like there's one that's called Medic. There's a Superhero. There's a Rampage. There's one that has Animals. There's a Space one. So so if you're playing a game and you want it to be space-themed, you probably want to get those that mix set of space, those three dice. And maybe you want to take some of the action dice, so it's an action-based adventure, and maybe some of the, the base set. And you use that for your game. Maybe next time, you decide, I don't want as much action, I want this to be more or mystery, but still in space. So you'd pick your your space dice and your mystery dice and another set. Um, at least that's how I've been doing that. It worked pretty well, and, and I really like that. Um, and they even suggest different combinations. Not, I think not in the book, but uh, maybe it was on the website. Of, or in the Kickstarter, like different combinations you could try to get different feelings. Uh, for example, the the adventure I'm on now, the, the first episode, I decided, oh, this is going to be a uh, loosely based on the Disney Afternoon cartoon Tailspin, which was anthropomorphic characters, but I wanted it to be sort of a spy setting. So I went ahead and picked the Animalia dice, and I picked uh, the Batman dice to give it more of a detective-y, adventure -y kind of feel. And yeah, you know, that even just picking out the stuff is fun. Um, so that's it. I guess the last thing is the my final thoughts on the game. Uh, I think I sound excited about it. I really am. I really like this game. It's just a fun way to tell stories. I've kept taking it to my friendly local game store, but every time I manage to go out for a game night, we always end up playing something else. I don't even get to offer it. A lot of times because of the player count, there might be five people at the game night lately. A lot, and this is a four-player game. So I have not had a chance to try it in that sort of setting. I did try it with my kids, and I think I mentioned it on the episode once. Um, that didn't go as well, only because my son 
was more rigid about how he interprets the dice and because he, he was still in an age where when he plays a co-op game he wants to be the hero and you know kind of misses the we're working together as a team aspect so it didn't really work as well that time um and just i think that's just a matter of age and and mentality at the time and that's what i think in point of view yeah for me the only way i can play this i can't do this solo it's it's very much not my kind of thing but mm-hmm. i i do like telling stories uh you can ask any of my kids about that and i will often just tell them completely random made-up stories they <laughs> they especially love the stories where they are characters in them and i've played other storytelling games with a group and for me just the way it is i like to tell the story if it's a storytelling game, I like to tell the story. I don't so much like having to hear someone else's sometimes poor story, <laughs> not well story. Yeah, or, like, or, or someone else me- messing up your awesome story. Exactly. <laughs> I don't like doing that. So for me, when I've done this, what's fun is to play with my kids where they get to roll the dice, they get to pull the cards, and then I have to tell a story to them based on what's come out and based on what's going this whole system is a very nice way, in my opinion, of prompting a story, helping you be able to tell mm-hmm. a story, helping you be creative, things like that, which I think is very true just to the Rory Story Cubes in general. But the whole system that they created here, it's a great way to help you tell a story. I could not do this solo. That is not for me. But if you're looking to do that solo, I guess, if that's what you mm-hmm. want, try looking into it. For me, yep, I like this as a thing to help me tell a story to the, to my children because they like to hear the story and they have a lot of fun playing with all the components. And so I feel like they they're the ones that cause the story to come about. It's not really them; it's the dice. They're just moving things around for me, but they get to feel like they caused it to come about, and then they get to hear a cool story, and that's fun. Yep, and that sounds like they'd be a lot of fun to the way you're describing that where you'd let your kids roll the dice and you pick it and, and they pick it and they can say okay i just put an elephant in the villain spots so now you got exactly. a story about an elephant villain and and you're gonna start coming up with that off the top of your head yeah that that sounds like a fun way to play with it and like you said it really that that is sort of the point of story cubes is just it's just a, a way to tell something creativity mm-hmm. and, and one thing i want to mention this game was designed by both rory o'connor of rory story cubes and john fiore John is actually, he designed something called the the Nine Cues, which was a a way to play RPG solo. And maybe this is why what, what triggered me to think about the the uh, five-act play, using the five-act stru- dramatic structure, where you would ask questions and answer them and then have your adventure based on that. So I think this is at least somewhat inspired by, by that earlier design. So there you go. That's Rory Story Cubes. It's just... In my opinion, it's another way to play RPG solo. Speaking of which, there was a blog post on the Solo RPG Guild recently. Uh, a user, ADM1, recently made a, some YouTube videos on a system she has for playing RPG solo. And she the videos are really good. I haven't finished watching them. But she goes and shows you how she comes up with her own method for coming up with a story and the setting. And it uses a, a books. And you pick a book and you roll some dice to get a page and you read the page and that kind of prompts what your story might be about. You know, if if your book has a, a dramatic scene where two people are fighting, you might now decide that your adventure has two people fighting. 
and then you, you roll someone again to see what you get next and so on and as and that's just part of it. I mean, like I said, I didn't see the whole thing, but that's the part I did get to watch. And she talks about some different tools for, for solo gaming that are available out there. Published tools like um, random setting generators and things like that. Uh, I highly recommend you go check those out if you're interested in solo RPGs. Really well done videos. I think it was a series of three. Uh, the first one I think was about 45 minutes long. Um, and I will include links to that. And that is also available if you go look at the solo role-playing guild on BGG. But, but I'll definitely include links. Um, so that is it really for the solo role-playing and story cubes discussion for today. There is one last little segment, which is a an excerpt of an interview with Rory O'Connor um, of Rory Story Cubes. Um, this was part of an interview that myself and Jason from Every Night is Game Night did. Of a, uh, This is just an excerpt. He has the bigger segment talking about Untold and the Story Cubes. This is an excerpt about another product of theirs called the Extraordinary Design Studio. Again, like Rory Story Cubes is not so much a game as a, a way to come up with ideas creatively. In it, you you pick a character from a set of cards that you have, and these are pictures of the character in their setting. And then you pick a couple, draw a couple cards from a few different decks to figure out what product you need to design for this person. And then you go and you draw your product design. So it's really a creative activity. Um, and actually really neat, and I... I I've played it with a little bit and I really enjoyed it. It does not at all feel like a game, but it is still interesting. So so check this last bit out. I did, and it was about uh, the extraordinaires, right? Yes. I want to talk about that briefly. And, you know, we're running long, so I don't want to take up a lot of time. Plus, I kind of answered my own question since, uh, since I wrote it down. Um, you know, we, we haven't mentioned the Extraordinaires, but it is, it's a design studio to, to help teach. And it seems like it wasn't made for play so much as for, for teaching, but maybe I'm wrong. But it, was a, it helps you teach you a, a method of design in which you're really designing for the user, and, and you have to really take the user into consideration. And so I've played with it, and... I kept struggling to see how it fits, and coming from a solitaire podcast point of view, how it fits for the solitaire gamer and how, how it could be useful from that point of view, other than as a, as, a, as a play, an activity of play. And it's funny, because since I've done that, you know, I'm thinking about making a, a character, a role-playing character, and I keep thinking about what he has and why he would have that. And it really ended up, I realized it came from, from playing with the Extraordinaires, that, that I am giving more thought to that character. And, mm-hmm. and why he is who he is. Um, it's a neat product. It really is. I think if you so understand Anita and myself as designers and kind of people who are interested in using play to affect change, um, the extraordinaires begins to make sense. And it, it's been one of those things where, as a product, it's done really well in its space. But, you know, it is not a game it it is more of an activity um and we basically created it because we wanted it came from a conversation with the teacher who was saying um here in the uk they were going to be introducing the idea of you know creative thinking problem solving um sharing ideas giving feedback um exploring problems from multiple angles and she said there's nothing out there to help teachers so we thought well and she said, you did such a great job with Rory Story Cubes. 
um, which is never intended to be an educational product, uh, could you do something similar with extraordinaires? So we said, well, let's create something, a playful way to explore what we as designers do. Um, because everything she said was what a designer is expected to be able to do. And we knew these were kind of life skills that people are going to need in the 21st century. So we kind of said, okay, well, how do we figure out a playful way to do this? And we said, well, designers create personas, which are, you know, Jane, she's 35, she drives a Toyota Prius, she earns, you know, $50,000 a year, blah, blah, blah. That's not really interesting for a child to design for. Um, so we took the idea and amplified it. So now you have like a fairy or a mermaid um, who all have these extraordinary needs because they live underwater. They're really big as a giant. Uh, they're a werewolf who changes once a month. Um, so we took that idea and magnified it with beautiful visuals um, and then created these design challenges to, that, sh- that players would have to solve. So it is a kind of a solitaire activity for people to play. We also designed it so that you could play as a group where you have kind of like an award ceremony at the end. Um, and for me, it's the act of playing more so than it being a game. Because I, I kind of, I do sometimes struggle when people say, well, it's not a game. For me, the purpose of a game is for me to sit down and spend a period of time doing something that's kind of enjoyable. And... Uh, Yes, a game has a kind of win-loser condition, but I don't mind if over that period of time I do something else that has a satisfying conclusion to it as well. Because for me, the important thing is being challenged, doing something different. If it's with a group of people, it's that shared experience of talking and communicating with each other uh, whilst being together. So it's kind of really weird that Extraordinaries never made it as a, as a game and it very loosely fit under that category. Uh, what it has done is really found a home with teachers, particularly in the US. Um, some people picked up on it and just ran with it. And it's kind of spreading like wildfire through classrooms in the US now where project-based learning has become a big deal. And at the moment, The Extraordinaires seems to be the only product out there that addresses the need that we had identified back in 2009 was the conversation we had about the about the first idea for the extraordinaires um so I, i'm kind of really happy to hear how it's kind of um seeped into your life because that's really the goal of it is that by playing this game you kind of pick up a way of thinking that affects your day-to-day life um you become a better problem solver more empathetic to other people and their needs and differences that's the ultimate goal for why we made the extraordinaires in the first place mm-hmm. it does a great job by that i think i, I really wish it was taught even more than what you're describing just because like working in a program there's so many programmers that start forgetting about the user and program because they think it's slick or whatever but you know, they, mm. they don't think about how the user is going to need to use this and, and how it's going to impact their day-to-day life well i mean i'm i actually have a lot of hope for the future because when i see teachers introducing this to like you know second graders fifth graders eighth graders um and seeing how they're looking at these characters and thinking about the problems that they face. You know, fingers crossed if that person ends up working in a hospital or as an attorney or as a, you know, a teacher or whatever, hopefully that degree of empathy that they'll have developed through playing with the extraordinaires means they're going to be better equipped to face the problems of the, the future as the world becomes more kind of chaotic. 
All right, well, I'm going to stop recording right there. Actually, yeah, Without even a goodbye from me. <laughs> Apparently, I already lost Julius, folks. He's he's asleep. He's gone. Uh, goodbye. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. Good morning, Julius. Good morning, Albert. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, I got you back. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.